We're sweltering here in late August, which makes me just that much more excited to think about fall gardening. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of August the 21st, 2014. At first, uh, first thing I should do is apologize at the outset for the condition of my brides and co um narrator's voice. She is struggling with laryngitis, so we're going to try to allow her to speak softly and rarely during this podcast um, so we can save as much of her voice as possible because in addition to being a gardener, she is also a thespian. We are in a play together here in Tallahassee, a murder mystery, and she is the character who has the most lines. So we need to protect those golden cords, and we will do our best. We should mention who the playwright is. The playwright is our own announcer, Adrienne Lee Borden. We're very proud of her, proud of the work she has done and is doing, because she is not only the playwright, she is also the director and one of the actors in the play. This is a fundraiser for the Mount Vernon Theater here in Tallahassee. So uh, we're real excited about what it means for us and for Tallahassee as well. But moving on to fall vegetables, we had a wonderful opportunity earlier this week to visit with Central Alabama Master Gardeners Association and talk with them about fall vegetables. And what made it fun is that um, this is smart people talking with smart people, so There's a lot of interaction that occurred on Tuesday that we cannot capture here, although we'll do our best to um, bring out key points as we get through the the podcast. Um, Obviously, fall vegetables are a time of transition because we're moving from the summer into the fall, and for us, it's one of our busier seasons. We said this is a discussion, not a lecture, but, of course, here in the podcast, it, it is sort of like a lecture. So, uh, The co- topics we include are why Lee and Amanda love fall gardening so much, the transition process from the summer, the traditional fall vegetables like brassicas and so forth, and then we go into some less well-known things that happen in the fall that are very pivotal for the way we do our food operation here. And we'll finish with a little conversation about cover crops because we pay a great deal of attention to cover crops and we feel it important to have something growing on our beds all the time. Why do we like growing in the fall? Well, first, it's just so much more pleasant to be outside. This is Amanda dressed in her best Alabama Crimson Tide t-shirt. Uh, that in tells the fall. you it's fall for sure. That's right. <laughs> uh, tending to some collards, looks like. Right. Um, And there are fewer weeds, there are fewer bugs, and I didn't say this in the outline, but what what happens for us in the fall and particularly in the winter is that everything slows down. Not Not only the weeds and the bugs, but also the target crops. So, for example, if you want to be gone for several days, you can do so and it's not going to create a big problem. 
if you're gone for several days when the okra is popping, you're going to come back to a bunch of pods that you can't use. Um, and they are still popping right now. We've got okra you mu- I must harvest every day. If we were going to be gone for a week, we'd just have to invite some friends to come in and pick our vegetables because otherwise they would just go to waste. And we've done that before. That we've produced. done that. In, yeah. yeah. There are vegetables that grow in the fall that we cannot grow during the summertime, particularly broccoli, uh, collards, cabbage, cauliflower, uh, kohlrabi, and several others. Yeah, things that just don't work in the summertime. So we look forward to that period in the cooler weather when we get a chance to eat those vegetables fresh. Which is not to say we don't like tomatoes and okra and peas and beans. It's just it's it's different, and we we have become accustomed to that rhythm and look forward to it. And of course, once the first frost hits, all the brassicas taste sweeter. Um, don't know the chemistry of that, but I just know, um, and we've learned. Once you get that first frost, everything tastes better. We don't stop eating in the winter time. Neither do you. So we. We like to keep producing food in the wintertime. And for us, fresh tastes better. It's more nutritious. This is some broccoli and cauliflower. And uh, what is that in the on the left? Chard, Swiss chard. Some chard um, that we enjoyed during the cool weather. And we use the soil as our canner and deep freeze. Aren't we grateful that here in central Alabama, we can continue growing 12 months out of the year? As I said, things slow down, but they don't stop. Um, So when we talk about transitioning from the summer, our heat-loving vegetables continue. This is uh, one full bed of sweet potatoes, which we trellis. We trellis the foliage of the sweet potatoes. The potatoes don't go up on the trellis. They stay down underneath the soil, but the leaves use that trellis and it allows us to be a little bit more draconian with the leaves that run outside the bed. We don't mind mowing and keeping them. Well, I'd rather not beat back. Well, uh, I don't. <laughs> what I do is put the. I try to train those uh, wandering vines up onto the trellis as much as possible. And once you get them accustomed to the trellis, they take to it quite comfortably. And we had lots of potatoes last year, planting them just that same way. And we use a second round of heat-loving veg. Typically, we will plant it midsummer. Uh, there's nightshades. You see in this shot that um, there are... Oh, I should have mentioned the slides are available on our show notes page. I apologize. I, I'll um, include a, a, an embedded version of the slides on the show notes page. And you really do want to follow along with the slides because a lot of this won't be as informative unless you have the pictures. Uh, This shot shows our new tomatoes growing in a bed with uh, basil and with marigold. And then in the background, you can see the fired up old tomatoes. And, you know, they're still producing fruit, but you can tell they're not long for this world. They're uh, in the process of giving up the ghost. Then we have squash, peas, and beans. This first shot is a picture of some edamame growing and some, what did you say? Bush beans. Some bush beans in the, on the row. Yeah, those didn't side. germinate really well. I tried to plant a whole row of bush beans, and they just didn't 
Okay. For whatever reason, germinate. But the edamame is doing well. It so. is, yes. Uh, I love that. And then this second shot is some regular uh, purple hull peas growing in bed number one with the trellis. And uh, that trellis is a good view that gives you an idea how we do trellising with a T-post on either end of our 16-foot bed. And then we will mount a 2x6 based wooden support that spans the bed in the middle of the bed, because we can't drive a T-post in the middle of the bed now that we've um, put hardware cloth in. So we put that 2x6 in to hold the uh, goat fence in the middle, and that gives us a nice firm trellis that we can hang stuff on. And then this uh, third picture is a new bed of three sisters, corn, squash, and beans growing together. Planted in July. And as you can see, it's doing pretty well. I'm not sure we'll ever get any fruit from the corn, no. but um, we'll get a few beans and maybe a little squash. But we'll that's see. the one that we, um, I think we mentioned this in a previous podcast, when we uh, caught those catfish down in our pond, you put some of the yeah. fish uh, yeah, remains fish guts, uh, down in there to see. Underneath each so one of these. We were somewhat experimenting to see how well yeah. that worked. Um, when we do bring on that second round, we're careful to rotate crops. And when we bring on the brassicas there, you don't want to follow brassicas with brassicas. You don't want to follow nightshades with nightshades. Typically, you don't. And as we talked to our master gardener friends, we knew that they understood the concept of crop rotation. And what I was uh, telling them, sort of confessing on my own uh, problems with that is that I'm tempted sometimes during these transition times to just stick a plant here and a plant there. Like, oh, that squash is finished. Not the whole row, just that one plant. Pull it up, stick a brassica there. tomatoes there. there. Yeah, or, to, or whatever. And then it's easy to lose track that that entire bed was supposed to be a brassica's bed so that next year I rotate and I, you know, I've got to be mindful of exactly what family of plant was there so that I can rotate. And if you get too haphazard about it, it just, you lose track. Yeah, and this is our fall rush season, meaning that we've got old uh, heat-loving vegetables in the ground. We've got the second round of heat-loving vegetables in the ground. We're about to have fall vegetable, the traditional fall vegetables like broccoli and um, collards and so forth in the ground. So all the beds are, are getting used during this fall season as we transition from one season to the next. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the traditional fall vegetables. For us, that includes beets, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, radishes. Here's a close-up of our Brussels sprouts. You know, we've we had one really great year with about Brussels three sprouts. years ago. Three years ago, they were and wonderful. We've not done well with Brussels sprouts since then. So, uh, I guess we're our enthusiasm for Brussels sprouts is becoming a little tempered over time. I will try it again, and I do think last year. Uh, you, you talked about being able to grow things year-round. We had a harsh winter and a wet winter, and a lot of the crops that had done well for me in the past didn't. They yeah. Between rotting and freezing, they just didn't. So I'm going to try it again. Okay. The second <laughs> uh, group that we've in, in built here, and by the way, there's no real family structure here. This is just in, sort of in order of when we thought of them. Here's some cauliflower. Our cauliflower is tasty, but we never get heads as big as those you see in the grocery store. Our heads tend to be 
oh, three or four inches in diameter. And Same they're with the broccoli. really tasty. They, the broccoli they love too. the way they taste. Yeah, yeah. and our broccoli doesn't, doesn't head up big. the way you see in the grocery store either. And this is some collards that are looking really good. Um, kale, cabbage, radishes, chard, spinach. Here's a, a bed showing some cabbage in the foreground and kale in the background. That kale is beautiful. It's sometimes grown as ornamental, but for us it tastes really good, so we enjoy growing it. Then turnips, rutabaga, beets, and parsnips. Onion, garlic, leeks, shallot, chives. This is one full bed of garlic that we had growing, I guess, maybe two years ago. And uh, Well, it might have been last year. Actually, I um, just ordered my garlic a couple of week, about a week ago because I had forgotten. Normally, I order my garlic along with uh, the seeds in the spring uh, or before spring, but I had forgotten to do so. So it's not too late for those of you, especially in this area of the country, wanting to plant garlic. You can still get it through any of the major seed catalogs, and they ship it out at certain times. You know, like it, you know, in time for me to plant it, which would be October, November here. And what kind of garlic do you typically plant? I've normally planted just soft neck uh, due to the fact that it's a little more compatible with the um, warmer seasons that we get. A lot of hard neck is grown typically in cooler climates um, because they can withstand the winters. Um, and the soft neck um, can last longer once harvested. Yeah, it keeps better. Keeps better, longer. Climate. Although uh, one thing I need to go ahead and say is we've had wonderful results growing garlic and harvesting good garlic. We've had lousy results trying to store it. So and one of the things we're going to be migrating to, we think, is freezing more of our garlic soon after it's harvested because we know it'll keep once we have it frozen. Right. The problem is garlic likes to be, I mean, it will keep longer in a cool, dry place. Well, in the midsummer here, or late summer, cool is hard to find. I guess you could keep it inside, but I have a lot of garlic. I don't necessarily want it all inside. I don't to want make that every, smell it, sm it smells the place up. Right. And, of course, if you just keep it out in the, even in a breezy area, it just, it's so humid this time of the year. So that's a real challenge for us. But what I was about to say, <clears throat> because of the fact that, um, one of my fellow master gardeners, RJ, turned me on to some hardneck garlic, which does in some cases have a more complex flavor and it's easier to peel. Now, I hate peeling garlic, so when I found out hardneck is actually a little easier to peel, I thought, well, and he gave me some and I grew it and it, it, it tasted good. So I actually this year have ordered a third hardneck garlic and two thirds softneck. Okay. So we shall see. All right. Let's talk a little bit about insects in the late summer. Uh, here is a bed where we had some rutabagas growing, and in fact, they did germinate well. They were looking pretty, and then you went out one morning, and they were just gone. Right. They weren't They weren't very large at that point, but we have so many grasshoppers out there this time of the year that I'm pretty sure the grasshoppers just ate every last little morsel. Yeah, and you may think, oh, it must have been voles or rabbits. We don't have rabbits in Veg Hill because of the deer fence. We don't. We have in the past, but we haven't seen yeah, any lately. We have excluded voles, so it's not voles and it's not rabbits. We're pretty sure it is insects. And uh, so what do you do to protect your um, transitional vegetables? What we do is row covers. 
This is a row cover on row six before we had raised beds. Uh, for reasons I cannot explain, we don't have a photo of one of our row covers on the raised beds, but we'll get one. We will this have year. one soon. <laughs> um, but this is row six before we had raised beds, and then inside it, you can see some Brussels sprouts growing in there, and it they worked wonderfully to exclude those late summer insects. Of course, you can't get away with this for any vegetables that need pollination. But the brassicas don't, so it was fine to use that for them. Well, and if you do it with squash or something, you can use row covers to get them started to protect them from uh, their own uh, common insect problems like um, squash vine borers. However, you need to be watching those plants and remove the row cover as soon as you see blossoms because those blossoms will need to be pollinated. We also have a problem with a lot of sun here in central Alabama in the late summer, so um, we could be using shade cloth. We haven't yet. We haven't tried no, to use it yet. No, and where we could really, a, a lot of times with a fall garden, if you put your, if you wanted to go ahead and put your lettuce out now, um, it's probably not going to enjoy that scorching afternoon sun that we get here. Uh, that's where deploying a, a bit of shade cloth might help. And you know something else to think about for shade cloth is the spring transition for the winter, for the fall veg like when your brussels sprouts are doing well they're fruiting when that hot spring sun hot here in central alabama when that hot spring sun starts coming in it'll cause a lot of those uh, brassicas to bolt. to bolt and and one thing we a couple of years ago we had an extremely hot early spring like was it may i think just was oh no like march march and april it was hotter than it should have been at that time of the year but again i think we might have been able to prolong some of those plants um productivity if we'd use shade cloth right and probably will this year if we have that kind of condition again and then frost blanket comes in handy for two applications we've never used frost blanket to protect heat loving veg from a light frost Typically, if we hear that it's going to flirt with 32 degrees, we'll just go ahead and pull our yeah, heat-loving Yeah, like veg. all the tomatoes and peppers and that kind of thing. But but you could uh, try to, you know, if you have a freak early light frost and you want to protect your tomatoes and beans and so forth, you could deploy shade cloth for that. I, I'm sorry, deploy frost blanket for that. The time when we have used frost blanket is when we've got fall vegetables growing in the the peak of the winter time and we're looking at not 28 or 27 degrees but 16 or 14 degrees and that's when we'll typically uh, bring out the frost blanket and that's in fact uh, how we were using frost blanket in this photo this was uh, looks like bed number 1911 must be 11 um, protecting it from a 14-degree temperature. And it did the trick. And it <clears throat> worked wonderfully. We pulled that frost blanket, and those they, they were just as happy as mm -hmm. they could be. Then let's talk about some less well-known things to grow in the fall, like strawberries. Right. If you go to your typical big box store or, you know, farmer's co-op or whatever, yeah. garden supply place, you'll find strawberries galore in the spring. But in the fall less and and certainly not a probably even if there were a strawberry plant or two it might not even be the best selection but um in fact i have don't think i've seen them in the fall but what i've learned is that planting them in the fall is the ticket 
let them develop that strong root structure. Let them get established and have those nice, I mean, the year I did it in the fall, I had huge, big, luscious strawberries in the spring. So we'll be working to do that each year. And we have this hope that one day we'll be able to to do this experiment. We would like to experiment with having one full bed that strawberries that we attempt to allow to grow more than three years. Everybody feels like you can get a, a strawberry bed to last for two or three years. We're still curious whether we might be able to go beyond that. And at the very least, I will um, harvest some of my daughter plants and replant them. Yeah. So, um, Onions, are it's a good time to plant onions now or a uh, little, no. uh, October, yeah. sorry, October. Uh, traditionally, again, that's when the onions are going to be in the big box stores. They'll be in January or so. Right, or like our farmer's uh, feed that we go to. It's a, a supply place. Typically, they'll get them in in January, although that's where we learned that there was a grower from Georgia who came over and said, you people are waiting too late to plant your onions. You ought to plant those in the fall. And he was right. The year that I did that and that I planted the appropriate variety, a short day variety for this area. Now, if you're not in central Alabama, check to find out what type of onions you should be planting in your area. But in central Alabama, they should be short day. They planted are, in October or so. Right, October or so, get them a good start, even if it's November, you know. But get them in in the fall so that they have a chance to get that nice root structure and develop. Now, I'm talking about the bulb-type onions. I want a nice, big, yeah, you and, know, and we Vidalia have been type. A, when we planted onions in January, we got onions. It's just that the bulbs were like, a, what, a little smaller than a golf ball? Oh, yeah, they were more like a scallion or something. And But even though what I had planted was an onion that purported to be a bulb onion. So um, what I had, and last year, I think we may have talked about this on our podcast then, that we were frustrated because we couldn't find onion transplants in a short day variety, not only in the fall. I mean, it got to the point you could barely find them in the, you know later on, and we found out that they weren't available because of crop failures. And, and so I decided to get my own seeds. And that's what you're showing here with this photo. You're holding a packet of seeds that we will start this year uh, so that we'll be ready to plant those little slips in October. Right, so. yes. Okay, let's uh, bridge over and talk a little bit about cover crops. They mean a lot to us. First thing we will talk about is sun hemp after our summer crops. So we've got two beds, for example, that are growing sun hemp right now. This is a, an old photo. This is before the raised beds. When we sort of let the sun hemp get out of control, the, the sun hemp that's right in front of Amanda's picture here, I had already um, pruned down with the hedge trimmer, but I let it grow behind her just so you could see what the height does. It was growing 14, 15, 16 feet high, and we now have learned you really don't want it to grow that tall. You want to keep it um, a little closer to the ground, and that's what we do now. These are two beds, 15 and 16, right now in our garden. And we actually will be out in the next two or three days and prune those back to roughly thigh high. And what that does is when you prune them at thigh high, you're cutting off the slenderest, tenderest um, tendrils of the sun hemp, 
which will fall down to the soil and the critters will come up and get them and take them down into the soil. So not only are you setting nitrogen because sun hemp is a legume, you're also building biomass right. in, so the, in the soil. Sun hemp's a great summer cover crop. And um, what I did with those two beds is weeded them uh, and then put the sun hemp seed in immediately. And um, I haven't done a close inspection lately, but uh, when it's planted as densely as I did that crop of sun hemp, it should do a really good job of combating weeds. Oh, I've looked at it, and it is. It's yeah. doing a good job keeping the weeds under control. The sun hemp will terminate itself after the first frost. It so far will not reseed here in central Alabama. If you are looking at a truly tropical climate like Cuba or Hawaii or um, some equatorial regions in South America, it will reseed there. In fact, that's where our sun hemp gonna, seed comes and from. It's, it's supposed to there, but what we don't want is it's an invasive species here. It would it, become invasive. Well, that's what I'm saying. It would it be. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was about to say. If it were to reproduce here, it would that would be considered invasive. So we avoid that, and as you said, at this point, it's not been a problem. Yeah. Uh, another. Okay. Now that's the sun. That's the summer cover crop. Now let's bridge over and talk a little bit about the cool weather cover crops. We're big fans of using lupin and black oats together. The lupin is the oval leaves that you see in this photo, and the black oats are the what looks like grass. And they grow really well together. Your friend Edsard Van Dr. Edsard Van Santen at mm -hmm. Auburn um, has done a great deal of work using lupin and black oats together, and uh, it works well for us, and we're big fans of it, particularly the lupin. The black oats can be a little difficult to terminate. So for us, we don't have the kind of equipment uh, that you know a p person in a large-scale production uh, facility might have. So I terminate mine by hand, and I can tell you, lupins a lot easier to pull up than black oats. Yeah. <laughs> um, another mm. thing we're doing is using uh, wildlife mixes on the orchard floor right after the chickens have been in a spot. We have a coop and an 8x8 eight eight run that move every couple of nights. And so what I do is each time I move, the chickens have scraped it down to bare mineral soil in a lot of spots, and I'll just fling out some of that mix, hit it with the hose to break up all the little uh, chicken poop and to let the seed come in contact with the mineral soil, and then we move on. And there are two mixes that we are using. There's a spring-summer mix and a fall-winter mix. And we're just about to transition now. The folks at Adams Briscoe are sending me the fall mix. And as soon as I receive it, I will begin using it uh, instead of the spring-summer mix that we have been using. But it, I think it's working well. It's a little soon because I didn't start using it until July or so. But uh, it seems to be getting the trick, you know, doing the trick. Um, and here's just a little information uh, that we used as the basis of the, these slides. And you can see here some of the publications available from Alabama Cooperative Extension System and a um, little information about us. Anything else we need to mention before we close out? Not really. We do um, have, you know, we had a couple of questions that arose where we supplied some information about the Agribon, like where we got our um, Good point. cover 
our row yeah, the, cover. The row cover is Agrabon AG15, which is a lightweight fabric, uh, lets in 90% of the sunlight. And uh, then the frost blanket we also get from Agrabon, it's AG30. It lets in 70% of the sunlight and is billed at giving you four to six degrees of temp protection. So, And that's worked well for yeah. us in the past. And we got a big roll of each of them. So we got, you know, we, we can just reel off a fresh section. And the AG-15, the AG-30 is pretty tough, but the AG-15 is pretty flimsy. It'll tear easily and so forth. It gets holes in it easily. So we end up using it in some quantity. Yes, because if it has big holes in it, it lets little bugs in, so you know it doesn't do its job really if it yeah. if it gets torn. And I tell you what we can do: we'll include on the show notes page that information we provided to the CAMGA members, so they'll have right. access it, to because that. Because it also someone asks about specific um, types of short day onions, and um, I just included some information that I got from uh, Texas A and M's horticulture department, as well as um, some information on our own Alabama Cooperative Extension System site, one of and their I, publications. And I think there's a link to Adams Briscoe, which is where we get our right. cover crops yeah. in as well. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll have a pleasant week, and we will look forward to visiting with you next week. Take care. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.